Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. You're obsessed with true crime like I am. You listen to podcasts and watch Dateline and Forensic Files. You know about DNA and what CODIS is. It's about the details. I know it is, and I understand your interest. But do you ever watch or listen to a story of a murder and wonder what it would be like if that happened to someone you know or someone in your family? I used to wonder that until it happened in my family. And now I know what it's like, how it changes you, what the grief feels like and how you can get lost in the anger and the rage and how you can forgive and what the path forward can be. This is the murder of my niece, Taylor Toller, and of Sean Boschuk, and Alan Penny Legion. like try to say like hey what's going on and these they all just screamed get in your house i'm like okay cool they're very quiet yeah you hardly ever saw them and yeah police have one person in custody and are not seeking any other suspects at this time from what i know uh the suspect was arrested at one of the scenes before i begin taylor sean and alan's story i want to tell you the important part there is a memorial fund set up, which you can find online if you go to taylortollerfund.org. I'm going to let my sister Joanne tell you a bit about it because it has been her brainchild and a really big part of her healing process. It is a donor-advised permanent endowment fund with the Calgary Foundation. So each year, a percentage of that market value will be granted for charitable purposes for, um, or to a charity of our recommendation. And this is a living legacy fund, right? So it continues. It, yeah, it continues for a hundred years. So if somebody donates, say they donate a hundred dollars, that money gets invested, and then a percentage of the revenue that's generated from that goes to a charity. So in perpetuity, right? So it ends up being a hundred dollars donation ends up donating thousands of dollars over the life of the fund. Because mm-hmm. it, it continues to earn interest, then, right? It continues to earn interest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's all set up through the Calgary Foundation. Right. And then it, it will pass on then your, your right now, are you called the trustee or how does that work? Like, what are you? 
My official title is founder. So myself and then then are also founders. So when I pass away, it goes down to them. And then from them, it goes down to their children. So my grandchildren will be managing the fund uh, so up until 100 years. And at the end of the 100 years, then that money goes to the Calgary Foundation and they will they will use it then for the purposes um, for domestic violence and addiction. First year, we donated to Pet Safekeeping through the Humane Society. So they will board, if, there, if there's a woman or a family escaping domestic violence, they will board their animal free of charge, take care of it, because that's a big concern for a lot of people. That one was really in honor of, of Polaris. Yeah, and then this past year it was... Thagacy. Thagacy. Yeah. And what do they yeah. do? They have a bunch of programs for domestic violence brought that one forward so that's part of it too is each year we get to kind of bring forward the charities we would recommend and then we vote on it so that was one of his recommendations so why was this important to you to do this memorial fund because i work in fund development and i've worked for charities all my life kids have always been involved there was through my work there was a charitable foundation that Um, was donating to the charity that I worked with at the time. And they invited me out for their dinner. And every year, this family and all their the people closest to them get together, they have a big dinner, and they vote for the charities that they want to donate to that year. So after Taylor passed and people started making donations, I knew about these endowment funds. I wanted to do something in in perpetuity for her to, to honor her legacy and to help make a difference. But with this particular one, I loved that idea of us getting together as a family every year. I mean, we got so tight. So, I mean, years of animosity between the other family and I were all healed. Like it just to bring us together once a year so that we could look at all of the different options for mental health, domestic violence uh, and addictions and, and come together and make a decision in Taylor's honor on her birthday. Thank you so much to Joanne for doing that. I think giving back in some way is often the best thing we can do to channel our grief, so I'm, I'm very proud of her for that. I also just want to take a few moments to thank some people. Obviously, my sister Joanne. Thank you for your permission to tell Taylor's story and for supporting me in telling it my own way. My mom, Joan Pattinson, for keeping diaries for many years and giving me full access to them and access to her phone for the text messages and for being such a great model of strength and forgiveness. I've been calling my mom Grandma ever since Taylor was born, so you'll hear me refer to her here and there as Grandma when I probably should be saying Mom. It's just a thing in our family. She's married to my stepdad, Ted, but again, he's known simply as Papa by everyone in our family. Taylor's BFF, Jade Shea, for her amazing help with some audio and for being willing to share her experiences with Taylor with us. My daughter, Cecilia, for being my brave and courageous teammate during the preliminary trial, for taking such great notes so that I could tweak my memory on some things, and for being Taylor's voice for both justice and on this podcast. Thank you so much to all of you. The focus of my coverage is going to be on Taylor Toller. However, there is an entire other family involved whose pain and torment is very real. I have not reached out to the members of the Boschuk or Penny Legion family because I know that their pain is still very raw. But I want you all to know that Alan Penny Legion and Sean Boschuk were loved 
and adored and from all accounts wonderful parents and humans, and their children's loss is no less painful than ours. We have no hard feelings towards anyone other than Dustin and their family, so I really want to make that clear. You're not going to be hearing as much background information on Sean and Alan, but I want you to know that they were lovely people with kind hearts who did a lot for their community and are dearly missed by a very large number of people. I saw online some ridiculous comments that this had all happened because Dustin was raised by two dads. This is not true. Sean is a woman, and even if Sean and Alan were both men, I don't see what difference that would have made in this story at all. But I did want to clear that up because it was just something I saw and it kind of annoyed me. I am also not naming a number of our family members because they don't find the process of telling the story through popular media particularly therapeutic, so I'm going to respect their privacy. So that's why you heard the bleeps in my interview with Joanne. But Taylor had a lot of family and friends that loved her very much, and if they didn't want to participate, it didn't mean that they cared for her or grieving any more or less than any of the rest of us, or that they're angry at me for doing this. It's just another thing I wanted to make clear. A difficult part of doing this podcast is trying to get across to people that never met someone what that person was like and how the world is a little less of a wonderful place without them in it anymore. In all the cases that I've done other than this one, I've never met the victims or their families. So I try really hard to listen to the victim impact statements and read the obituaries to understand the depth of the person's loss and to try to pass that on. But it's really hard to do. And I think that too many times it becomes like a laundry list of physical stats and starts to sound like a profile on Tinder or something. Taylor was a huge part of our family. She was the firstborn child. She made my sister a mom, me an aunt, and my mom a grandma. So there is a giant chunk missing in our family now, and the family gatherings are never going to be the same without her laughter and her bright smile and those huge blue eyes she had. But I do have a special gift, thanks to Jade for making this possible for my sister and my mom, and for anyone else that knew Taylor that is listening. It's only about 30 seconds long, but it's a very meaningful 30 seconds. I love you. Lars, I love you. Come on. I love you. Say I love you. <laughs> Say I love you. Where's your man? Where's your man? Say please and thank you. You're going to the park, boo? <laughs> What's up here? Come on, get up here. Going to the park, honey? That was Taylor's voice and laugh. The first things that go when you lose someone is the memory of their voice and laugh. So thank you so much, Jade, for finding that little gem for us. It really means the world to us. Obviously, she was talking to Polaris, her dog, in that clip. Her and Dustin's white pit bull. Taylor loved that dog. Taylor was a caring and loving person. Again, I'm not going to go into a laundry list of Taylor's stats. She volunteered at a senior's home reading to an elderly woman when she was 12. Without anyone asking her to do it, she just wanted to do it. And that was Taylor. What is the most important thing you want people to know about Taylor? Uh, just how sweet and kind she was. That heart that she had, there was just a, a sweet gentleness about her. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's obviously so forgiving. And so we were talking about that the other night that, you know, sometimes you get in arguments with your kids, but Taylor was one who would always come to me afterwards and say, mommy, I'm sorry. I love you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she just, even when she lashed out as a teenager, she would always kind of step back and, and. How um, has losing Taylor changed you? Oh, uh, Okay, so dad phoned me yesterday and I had a panic attack because I'm like, oh my God, what now? Mm. Uh, if my, my kids know better than to phone me later at night because I'll have a panic attack. Um, I'm constantly worried. Gord had a headache yesterday and I was oops, I was worried that it was an aneurysm. Yeah. <laughs> I just am so sensitive I know what it's like to live through the most horrific thing and I just I just I just can't anymore I'm terrified of losing another child um in some ways it's good and I you know she's her and I had had a a, a, a beef about her moving out and you know me right yeah. <laughs> and she came over and I just started to cry and tell her I love her I can't lose her and I need you know so it's in some ways it's good I'm able to really tell the kids how much I love them but I guess before you just don't think that it could happen like you know that it it's a thing and that it happens and you hear it on the news and that but until it happens to to someone in your family and then then suddenly it's it's always happening and it's not just that it's car accidents it's heart attacks it's you just it's all around you all of the terrible things that can possibly happen because if that can happen and a heart attack is more common or a car yeah. accident is more common it's terrifying ironically we went to school together but i actually met her when um, joanne moved to citadel when taylor was 12 her and i were both 12 when we met you lost touch then in 2016 or what happened we just had a falling out uh, because of Dustin, of unfortunately. Course. I only have good memories of her, and I'm very yeah. thankful for that. She yeah. she had so much enthusiasm about everything. She, she yeah. was very quirky and funny, and I do want to tell about how we met. I love that story. So when Joanne moved to Citadel, she moved across the street from the townhouse that my mom was living in. Um, I think... It was maybe like a couple days later, someone was delivering flowers to her at her house, but nobody was home. So they left. They must have left a note on her door and then brought the flowers across the street to our house. And and then um, just told us that these were for the lady across the street, but nobody was home. So then I believe it was Joanne that came. No, she sent over the girls. So when they came over that evening to and knocked on the door, obviously we answered the door. So my sister and I, I, had, I have two sisters. I have one older, one younger. So the three of us actually like were talking with the girls in the doorway and getting to know them. And then that was our first meeting. But then Taylor and I were actually on the phone one day. And that's when we found out. I, I'd asked her, I'm like, so how old are you? She told me she was 12. And I asked her, uh, when's your birthday? And she said, February 22nd, 1994. And I thought she was just kidding with me. I thought she had somehow figured out my birthday and was just (laughs) joking, just like making a joke. And she was dead serious. And I was just mind blown. I'm like, no way, that is my birthday. So then we started figuring out who was born at what time. And we had figured out she was older by 15 hours. And 
she, forever. She's been called my birthday buddy. She's always been taller than me too. I'm only four foot eleven, so I'm not very tall. And uh, one day, I was having a sleepover with her when we were maybe 15 or 16, I think. And uh, she, I have pictures from this night. We we had taken some pictures together, but she had some Play-Doh, some blue Play-Doh, and she made it into this triangle and called it a Smurf. And it did not look like a Smurf, but she <laughs> called it a Smurf and she told me it was for me because I was her Smurf because yeah. I was so small. So I actually have a picture of that Smurf that she made me. Yeah. And I'm, I want to get it tattooed. I never would have imagined that I I would have I would be experiencing like the the grief of losing someone so close to me. Taylor had a very tight bond with my mom, her grandma. When Taylor was little, my mom was daycare for my sister who was working full time, so they had spent a lot of time together and this bond stayed super tight until the day Taylor was taken from us. According to my mom, Taylor was every grandparent's dream as a child. She loved to be with them. She was really easy to care for. She had what my mom describes as a chronic smile and infectious laugh. On a side note here about my mom, she turned 80 this year and is still as sharp as a tack with all her smart-ass wits about her. She's kept a diary for close to 40 years, so she can tell you the weather on any given day in the past 40 years or so. And those diaries were unbelievably helpful in me being able to put this story together for you. Well, that bond started when she was a baby. Uh, We used to pick her up uh, from the daycare and bring her back to our place and have her all afternoon. And uh, or lots of times on the weekend, we'd take her out uh, hiking with us. She was only about six months old at this time, but she was just. I like we just loved her so much we couldn't leave her at the babysitters we had we had to go get her and then it just um, for the first three years especially that bond was very tight because we she was the first grandchild and there wasn't any others and so she got all all the attention it didn't even though we didn't want to favor any child uh, it didn't go away I guess it was there for life I just read her easier than the others, maybe because it started so much younger. I I don't know what it was, but she was very, very special to us both. And and even as a teenager, I mean, she was really a great teenager. She always loved to laugh and easy to get along with. You ask her to do something and she never, there was no moaning and groaning or anything. Mind you, maybe it was different at home. I don't know, but... Certainly with us, it, it was, uh, she was just a good kid. Yeah, and she was always, like I found too, she she never acted sort of embarrassed to be around older people and that. Like she, because no. no. yeah, she was she was proud to be out with you and, and yeah. doing, doing stuff and, with, and, with grandma. That's right what you say about her. She was able to hold her head high right in whoever she met because uh, she seemed to be confident in herself, but I don't, yeah think she maybe really was yeah no the choices the choices we make in men tend to (laughs) say a lot about how we feel about ourselves I guess that's very true statement do you uh do you still keep a diary I guess I do 
I still write the, everything the I do. And the, yeah. yeah, 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 I still do. Yeah, uh, no, those notes were very helpful for me. So I appreciate you uh, having done that. Well, because... you know, like you never thought that was going to no. be what they ever would be used for. But I did mention when I would seen her or talked to her or, or, you know. I'm going to start Taylor's story in the summer of 2013 when she was 19. Taylor had a gypsy soul like her mother and was eager to get on with her life rather than finish getting her final credit for high school. So that summer, she left Alberta and went out to BC and joined the circus. She worked as a carny for the summer. But by the end of that summer, she was ready to return to Calgary. And when she returned in September, she was staying with the mother of her friend that she had traveled out to BC with. And somewhere in there... That's when she met Dustin Duthie, who was two years older than her. Dustin was the second oldest in a family of four other siblings. His parents, Sean and Alan, had been married for, I believe, about 20 years. Dustin was around three when Sean met Alan, so for all intents and purposes, Alan was Dustin's dad. I'm not sure if Dustin ever met his biological dad. Sean was a holistic nurse, and her father, Wally Boschuk, was in the Saskatchewan Sports Hall of Fame, inducted in 1990 for speed skating. There's a sports arena in Moose Jaw named after him. And this little detail comes back into this story a bit later. Alan Penny Legion was a business development rep for Keurig Canada and a football coach with the Calgary Hilltoppers. They lived in a two-story house in the area of Hidden Valley in Calgary's northwest. Hidden Valley is very much your typical suburb. Quiet street, etc., etc. Both Sean and Alan were active in their community and close-knit with their kids. So Dustin came from a very normal family. But it was clear as he became a teen and into his early 20s that he had a penchant for drugs, which we would later discover was a full-blown addiction. The first anyone heard of Dustin was on October 10th, 2013, when my mom picked Taylor up from her friend's mom's place in Varsity and drove her to Dustin's parents' house in Hidden Valley, as she was going to be moving into their place with Dustin. My mom then took the two of them for pizza. There would have been no point in telling Taylor at this time that she was rushing things. 19-year-olds rush things, and she was just really enjoying her life. Both Dustin and Taylor came to my mom's for Thanksgiving on October 13th. The family's impression was not terrible, but not great either. I myself remember that he seemed to be trying hard to fit in. And we're the type of family that you either fit in with or you don't. We, we tend to roast and kind of make fun of each other. There's a lot of sarcasm. And he didn't seem to enjoy that banter as much as we all did. My mom and papa used to always go to Florida in late October and return for Christmas to Calgary and then fly to Palm Springs in January until April. That was standard practice until stupid COVID. So in 2013, when they returned in early December from Florida, Taylor and Dustin moved in to Grandma and Papa's basement. They had been kicked out of Sean and Alan's and were, we never really got the full story why. But likely it had something to do with Dustin's drug use and propensity for stealing. Something we quite weren't aware of at the time. 
Now, Taylor wasn't perfect, and she did use drugs as well, but from all accounts and records, including the medical examiner's report, it was strictly recreational. Dustin's was more problematic, but we didn't know that at this time. Moving into the grandma and papa's basement was to be a temporary arrangement, as they needed to be out by January when grandma and papa were going to leave for Palm Springs. Taylor had a job at this time, but Dustin did not. On that Christmas day, my mom went to grab the U.S. cash that she had set aside for their trip to Palm Springs, and it was gone. She confronted Taylor, who admitted that she had taken it for Dustin. This was completely not like Taylor to do something like that. She had this very close bond with my mom, and stealing from Grandma and our family was just a a no-go. It was just something that you just never did. So although it broke her heart, my mom had to make them leave. We have no idea where the two of them went during this time, but no word was heard from Taylor by the family until April 8th of 2014. We believe they might have stayed with Dustin's grandmother. Up until this time, there were no signs of any abuse. The relationship appeared to be okay between the two of them. But this was kind of the start of things to come for the two. Dustin was never allowed in my mom's home again after the incident. So Taylor would often, okay, pretty much always, try to hide it when she was back with Dustin. I only met him, like, maybe twice. Honestly, like, after, like, because Taylor and I would talk, and I lived in an apartment building just in Kensington, and one day, like, she was going to come over, and when I think this was in, like, 2014, maybe, um, but she was going to come over, and just saying that she needed to talk to Dustin and and then it, it he just seemed very controlling at that time because she didn't end up coming over because he didn't want her to. I just kind of got an eerie feeling about him. I really had no idea and I wish I had talked to well, her and yeah. kind of put bygones be bygones. Most of the notes from my mom's diary and the text messages between them are of a fairly ordinary sort. During the remainder of 2014, she was living in Beddington. She would go for lunch with my mom or they would go shopping. My mom would kind of always buy her stuff, but she did that for all the grandkids. But she did help Taylor out a lot with things like getting new glasses or going to the dentist, those kinds of things. Because the family didn't like Dustin and didn't want her to be with him, she really tried to hide the relationship. And I remember at my dad's wedding in August of 2014, She was showing pictures of the man that she was referring to as her new boyfriend, never referring to him by name, but the pictures were clearly of Dustin, the same one that I had met at Thanksgiving. He was also working as a male stripper during this time, and there were accusations that Dustin was heavily into steroids. In October of 2014, my mom bought her a car. This created a bit of an issue in the family. To give you a bit of background, there was tension sometimes because the family was divided on how Taylor was, her life was going, the relationship with Dustin, and what needed to be done about it. On my sister's side of the argument, she believed in tough love, that Taylor needed to figure it out for herself, and that she would only do that if she had to fall on her face a few times meaning financially, not literally falling on her face. On my mom's side, 
she felt that Taylor was young, she was in need, and she was basically a good kid. My mom, she comes from a long line of enablers, and I am also one. So I felt a little stuck in the middle during this tension period. I could see my sister's side of things um, and, and do believe strongly that sometimes you need to reach bottom on your own. But on the other hand, I also saw my mom's side because I too am an enabler. So it was, it was just a difficult time and there was a lot of tension about it. Now, I happened to work in the insurance industry. So I got her insurance and warned her to never, no matter what, miss a payment on her insurance. And I also told her to never, ever let Dustin drive that vehicle because he admitted to having a suspended license due to some stunting, which is basically reckless driving. By this time, I was starting to see that Dustin was a bit of a piece of work. He swore like a sailor and could easily go into a tirade, and he he acted pretty tough a lot of the time. In November, Dustin and Taylor had gotten their own apartment together. Dustin was still working as a stripper, and she, of course bounced her car insurance payment, and I was furious. By early 2015, things were starting to look pretty rocky for Taylor. The car had broke down, needed a whole new engine because Dustin, of course, had been driving it without a license and likely like a bit of a speed junkie. On January 25th, she called my mom and papa to come and pick her up from a remote place out past Simons Valley. She told my mom that Dustin had abused her, but she wouldn't go into any details and just broke down into tears. My mom arranged for Taylor to stay at one of my mom's good friend's houses because they were leaving to go to Palm Springs again. On February 8, 2015, Taylor moved in alone to her mom, Joanne's place. The rules were no drugs, no Dustin. But through a sibling, there were rumors that Dustin was still coming around. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. On the 24th of February, my mom found out that Taylor had taken some money using one of Grandma's credit cards. The card was cancelled, and Taylor was back to finding a new place to live if she insisted on staying with Dustin. Taylor didn't resurface again until June 2015, when she created a new Facebook page. My mom wrote her an email with her concerns about where her life was going, and how she felt about Taylor's stealing from her, and the lying about Dustin. She didn't hear back from her about the email, but in September, Taylor announced that she was moving to Vancouver. 
So as you can see, Taylor going MIA is nothing new to us as a family. 2015 to 2016 was probably the longest stretch of not hearing from Taylor that we would experience, and my mom often wrote in her diary that she was praying for her. In May 2016, we had a family dinner and recorded a video message for her. Later that evening, my mom wrote, I have a feeling Taylor has lied to us again. I hope I'm wrong, but everyone feels she's still with Dustin. As a family, we just had a feeling that she either went out to Vancouver with Dustin, or she wasn't really in Vancouver. I would say that 2016 was the low point for us as a family. The frustration level with her continually going back to Dustin, despite how much he seemed to drag her life down, was becoming intolerable for my sister, her dad, her siblings, and my mom. When she was living in Vancouver, um, she she was messaging me and kind of, I think she was venting to me about him for sure and then telling me that she wanted to come back. And, and then she did end up coming back and that was in 2016, I remember, because that's when my son Presley was born and we were going to arrange something for her to come and meet him. Contact with Taylor was spotty for the next year or so. In September 2016, she returned to Calgary temporarily but wasn't around much until after Christmas. On January 3rd, 2017, she told my mom that she was leaving again to go to Creston, BC. Only again, there were rumors that she was still in Calgary with Dustin in the Northeast. By June, it seemed like she was back in Calgary, but contact remained spotty. On June 7th, she again announced that she was going back to Creston. And again, rumors persisted that that was untrue. On August 1st, 2017, contact recommenced with Grandma, and things were starting to look up for Taylor. By Thanksgiving, she had started to come around at family get-togethers again, and she seemed really happy. She was working and living alone in Dalhousie. We had a really great Christmas that year with her, which I'm so glad for. We ate Moroccan food, we played Cards Against Humanity, and my mom had this game that, I don't remember the name of it, but you... You put this thing in your mouth so it makes you look ridiculous and talk funny. And then you try to say a well-known saying and people have to figure out what it is that you're saying. Taylor and my son Garen had a great time and I have this great photo of all of the cousins with those crazy things in their mouth. Early in the morning on New Year's, I got a text at 4.22 a.m. I'm sorry for the late message and if it wakes you. I'm stranded in Woodbine. I'm wondering in the morning you'd be able to drive me home. I went to a party with a guy I was dating. I stayed sober because I was going to drive his car home after, but he decided to have sex with a girl in the bathroom and left with her. I'm able to spend the night at these people's house. I just don't know how to get home or have any money on me to get a cab. I don't want to message grandma because I don't want her to worry or give me the you deserve better talk. Hope you had a good New Year's. If you can't drive in the morning, that's okay. I did go and pick her up the next morning, and I really wanted to call her out that I knew it was Dustin, and yes, give her the you-deserve-better talk. Instead, I told her that I was sorry that she had a shitty New Year's, and that not all guys are like that. At 10.41 a.m., she texted me that she was home and thanked me. It was the last I ever had any contact with Taylor. Shortly after that, on March 1st, 2018, it became clear due to a private family incident that she was back with Dustin and she fell off the family message channel again. 
On July 5th, 2018, my mom got a text from Taylor saying that she had just returned from Regina. When my mom asked what she was doing in Regina, she said, Dustin called me crying, asking if I could go with him and the dogs out there because he was in a dark place. Sober, though. It was supposed to be a move to a new city. We went to go and see the memorial for his grandfather in Moose Jaw. Then we realized he's schizophrenic and needs to be on medication. So I drove us all back to Calgary on Monday, found a treatment center for him to go to. So there was a bit of good that came out of it. Scared the shit out of me, though, because of what his psychosis was doing to him and how he was acting. Only downside is I quit my job and left my place to move. It was planned three weeks ago, so I'm just trying to find a place to stay till I get another job and can get my own place. Don't worry, I'm not asking for money or a place to stay. Just really wanted to talk to someone because I've never seen or known anyone with schizophrenia before, and it really scared me. Grandma replied that it probably developed because of his heavy drug use and advised her that she was there to talk, but, quote, you're right, no money. I still hurt from the last time. And she said that somehow you have to walk away from Dustin and start a new life. Yeah, I was doing fine the last five months without him around, really. But I knew what it meant to him needing to see his grandfather. Like, it's serious when he asked that, so I dropped everything and went with. Now I'm stuck in a position looking for a place to stay because I spent the last of my cash on a motel the last two nights. Don't even have a cell phone anymore because the last month the LCD screen broke on it because it fell out of my pocket. Ugh, just never-ending stress. My allergies are even worse. My body aches all the time from the stress. I haven't been able to eat because one, it gives me an allergic reaction, and two, the stress makes me sick when I try and eat, like it physically hurts every now and then. Grandma asked where she was now. Outside his mom's, grabbing and packing my stuff up from his car. Think I gotta throw out like four bags of clothes and fit what I can in a little suitcase, unless I can find somewhere to store my clothes until I get a place. His mom hates me, so I'm not allowed inside. So I'm helping him clean up his car too from the weekend trip. It's a mess with mainly all my stuff. My mom replied, If I haven't heard this kind of story so many times, and then you go back to Dustin, so it's hard to have any feelings. You really don't want to change. You just want help until you can get back together again. I know I keep going back, and I need to cut myself off from him. I really don't want to even be in the same city as him anymore because I know I'll just keep going back. The next six months should be easier because he's away in treatment for six months so I can actually get my life back to where I want it and disappear from his life before he's back. And no, it's not me just wanting help until we get back together. He messes my life up and just destroys me. The last five months I was happy being single doing my own thing. He just knows how to suck me back in when he's in a hard spot and it ruins me. I don't want that anymore. I was actually happy before this weekend. So my mom asks if Dustin's going to be there if she were to come and pick up some of the stuff to store. No, I won't be with him tonight. He's just dropping my stuff off and said he can give me a ride to if I need it. He has an appointment with the psychologist tonight and has to start packing himself. His psychologist is wanting him to go for six months to a year this week. At 9.34 a.m. on July 12th, my mom texts and asks, How's your place? It's good. I really like it. I'll send you pictures when I get home later. Taylor had moved into Unit 307 in 2000 Applewood Court in Forest Lawn, in the city's southeast side. She had made an arrangement with the landlord that the rest of July would be free, and she could pay August's rent over two payments. On July 18th at 4.26 p.m., Taylor texts my mom, My apartment is so hot. Like it got to 32 degrees in my place yesterday until 2 a.m. when it finally cooled down. 
I get no airflow. You walk in and you're covered in sweat within five to 10 minutes. My mom and her discuss getting a fan to help cool the place down and that she can drop it off on the 21st or the 25th. On July 25th, 2018, at 1.27 a.m., Taylor writes on Messenger, Don't text my phone. Dustin showed up in the middle of the night and was really messed up and on drugs. Took my phone and SIM card. I'm back to using my tablet, but I don't have calling on it. Need to find a phone soon because I need it to get a hold of work, and I can't be in Forest Lawn alone without a phone, lol. CCTV footage would show Taylor returning to her apartment from an area outside of surveillance crying at 12.42 a.m. on the early morning of July 25th. My mom replies at 8.38 a.m. Sorry to hear that. I thought he was away somewhere. He was supposed to be doing an outpatient program in Calgary because it's too expensive to go away. You're going to have to message Dustin and tell him that you're going to call the police if he shows up again. And really mean it, because you'll have to press charges. If you can't do that, then I don't know how we can help because any money we spend on you either gets left behind in a rushed move, or Dustin takes it and destroys it. My mom and papa arrived at around 4 o'clock in the afternoon and dropped off a fan to cool the apartment and a new phone with strict instructions to call the police if Dustin showed up. Now, in this conversation, Taylor did say that she had agreed to take care of the four dogs as Sean, Alan, and Jordan were all going to Hawaii soon for a football tournament. Again, just a little background. Sean and Alan had a family dog named Odie, who was a border collie. Dustin and Taylor together had a white pit bull named Polaris. And Polaris had had two puppies. At the time, they weren't really puppies anymore, but they had... Polaris was the mom. One of them, Dustin had... And the other one, and I'm not, again, I'm not sure the names of these ones. Um, The other one that Jordan, the 17-year-old, the youngest brother, uh, had it as his dog. So there were four dogs all together, and three of them were pit bulls. My mom was really not pleased and less impressed with her sparse apartment and that she'd gotten herself into this position of having to start all over again, again. But as always, she was hopeful that this time, maybe she actually would get away for good. Later that evening, my mom texts to her new phone at 5.46 p.m. How's the fan? Didn't have a screwdriver, so I use a spoon, lol. It's pretty good, thank you. I'm no longer melting. At 6.35, she writes, I think you're a very foolish girl if you look after the dogs. It gives Dustin a reason to be there. And Taylor responds, Dustin will be there when they are away. She said he'll be with them. They just don't have anyone who they'll listen to. On July 26th at 8.13 p.m., My mom texts, well, how did things go today? On July 28th at 10.01 a.m., have you lost the phone already? So one thing you should know about Taylor, when Taylor was in touch with the family, she was in touch. Like she would text grandma many times throughout the day. My mom has said that Taylor would text her when she went to the bathroom. Grandma and Taylor were tight when she was not with Dustin, like super tight. My mom phoned me and asked if I had heard anything from Taylor or if she had posted anything on Facebook or Instagram. I said no and asked why. She told me briefly of her trip to Regina and this and the schizophrenia thing. My mom said, I just have this really bad feeling that he's done something to her. To which I replied, like, you've been watching way too much TV. 
At 7.14 p.m., it's been three days since we've heard from you. A lot of good a phone does. On July 29th, 9.09 a.m., you may be mad at me for saying what I said about the dogs, but just text me and tell me that you're okay. And then, at 5.58 p.m., this text comes in over Messenger from Dustin. Sorry to bother you this evening, but have you heard from Taylor recently? Haven't heard anything from her in a few days. Feeling a little worried. My mom replies, I am also very worried. We haven't spoken to her since Wednesday and no text, which is very unusual. On July 30th at 9.22 a.m., my mom sends her final text to Taylor. Just so you know, I'm contacting the police right now. Now, my mom phoned me again and told me that she'd put in the missing persons report. And I, I just, I said, well, like, mom, she's going to be so mad at you. And it turns out that she's just with Dustin and she didn't want you to know. And, and my mom said that, she, well, she hoped that that's all that it was. I, I feel bad now that I didn't take it more seriously. But again, this, it wasn't unusual to, to me that she would go missing. Now, an officer did come out and take the report and knocked on her door, but there was little that they could do in trying to locate her. And the officer felt much like myself, my sister, and Taylor's dad did, that she just really didn't want to be found right now. At 7.36 p.m., my mom got a Facebook message from Dustin's mom, Sean Boschuk. Hi, Joan. Can you let me know that Taylor is okay? Dustin is quite concerned about her, and neither he or I have gotten any responses to messages we have sent to her. Now we're both worrying, as it's been a few days. Thanks, I'd really appreciate it. Sean. At 9.06, my mom replied, I've reported her missing and the police are already working on finding her. Sean responded, Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm not sure how I'm going to tell Dustin that. They've been to her apartment to look for her? Gosh, Joan, this is just awful news. Please keep me posted. Sean was last heard from by text at 5.53 a.m. on July 31st. She had been texting with a co-worker who was also a friend. Like, why did you feel that this time was different? Well, um, there was lots of times Taylor and I weren't talking because she would either go back to Dustin and I, we did, certainly didn't approve of it. So there was always a reason why we weren't talking. But this time, we just saw her the day before and, and everything was great and nothing to show that um, there, there should be any reason why she wouldn't be answering my phone. Um, even like Taylor, different times, even if she went to a girlfriend's or, or something, she'd always say, uh, laugh out loud, I, you know, did something or other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she always was, it was a little bit, even if it was good morning or good night or something, she mm -hmm. always, when we were talking. Uh, so yeah. that's how I knew there was something wrong because uh, there was nothing. I mean, it was just she never answered any of my uh, texts. I mm -hmm. didn't have any real bad feelings until uh, Sunday night when Dustin got a hold of me. Mm -hmm. um, and then then I started thinking, oh, oh, there's something wrong here because Dustin always knew where Taylor was or he was always with her, one or the other. 
Right. And wouldn't have reached out to you. No, he didn't. He didn't ever. Yeah. Reached out to me. No. I mean, we know that she actually passed away on the 26th of July, that you had sort of had one of your intuitional experiences that you sometimes have. <laughs> yes, I seem to have this thing with uh, dying relatives. Yeah, I, I just uh, was shaken out of a dead sleep uh, that would have been in the middle of the the night, so it would have been the 20, early morning hours of the 26th, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't breathe. Like it was just my chest was so tight, and I couldn't figure out if I had been scared, like if if I'd heard a noise or or what. And I I sat up and and I didn't feel well. So it just a uh, like overall kind of mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it was like that. It felt like a, I think maybe it felt like a panic attack. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I've ever had one, but it just was like very severe. You didn't put the pieces of that together until. No, no, I yeah. did not. I, I did think of it, though, the next morning. I still wasn't feeling well. And um, I was telling Ted about it. And I uh, said, I wonder, like Joanne was vacationing in um, B.C. Thought, oh, geez, I hope they're OK. And so I phoned her and her text or one or the other I can't remember and uh she said no everything was fine so I I guess I did think about that but I certainly never thought of Taylor I, mm-hmm. I don't know why but I didn't mm-hmm. well because you had just talked to her the day before yeah so you had to... uh, like, like yeah. and everything there was should have been no reason why and yet I don't know why I felt that way because you know the day we were with her she told us that he had come there in the middle of the night and the night, day before even. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I knew it wasn't good, but I just mm-hmm. just never thought it would ever happen. Did you believe her this time that she was trying to get away? Like, I, I noticed in the text messages that she was saying that, oh, he ruins my life and I know that I keep going back and I really got to try. Did, did you believe her this time that she was going to make an effort? I did. Yes, I did, because she told me, or she said it also that time that she'd phoned these different places uh, to get help for schooling, and and she, so she was she wasn't asking me for uh, money to do it. Mm-hmm. She was going to do it on her own, and yet I guess I didn't because I feel really bad. I didn't get out of the car to hug her. I mean, she was a big huggy person, and, yeah. and Ted got out. And um, I just, I, I don't, I don't You're know why. You're just disappointed in her. I, I was disappointed in it. And yet it, you know, there was a little bit of hope there, but I've been there before and mm-hmm. I just, uh, I couldn't truly, really, really believe that this time it was really, really going to happen. Yeah, no, and I, I understand that. And I think it was the same reason why I just didn't take it. Well, I didn't take you seriously when you were you said you were worried and that she was missing. I just thought, well, she's she's always doing that. Um, yeah. And not in, not in a blaming her kind of way, but just in a, that's just the way things went. That's right, um, yeah. On the 31st, around 4 p.m., my mom texted me. I will never forget that sentence. They have found Taylor... She is deceased. I couldn't really comprehend what I was reading. If that were true, then why would I get a text message? How is that possible? How does a 24-year-old die? 
So I immediately called my mom back and admonished her for texting. And I said, why would you text me something like that? And she said she was in the back of a police car going to the station to give a report. She didn't think that she could use the phone. She said they have Dustin in custody. And for a split second, I thought, well, what does Dustin have to do with it? And then it kind of dawned on me and I said, you, you mean he killed her? And I think I said, that fucker. I turned on the news and I saw that they were reporting finding three bodies, a woman and two others at another location. And I, for some reason, I just thought, well, that can't be, be her. And they showed um, a body being removed from the Applewood Court apartments. And again, I just thought, nope, that's not her. But sadly, it was. On that morning, my mom saw from her window a police car showed up and She figured that the officer that had taken the missing person's case was coming back for a bit more information. Only the officer that got out of the car was a woman. And she asked if she was Joan Pattinson and told her to sit down. Right then, my mom knew that it wasn't good. My sister Joanne was camping in Kamloops at the time. She knew that Taylor was MIA, but like the rest of us, she had no inkling that anything could be really wrong. She was lost on a hike with no cell service, so when she finally got to an area of service, uh, found she had a number of missing messages from my mom and from Taylor's dad. She just kind of instinctively knew that something wasn't good. It was her ex-husband that broke the news to her. How did you hear what had happened? Um... Take your time. It was a couple days after my daughter was born. Oh no. She was only like two days old. Yeah. And I was I was out for breakfast with my boyfriend at the time, her father, yeah. and his grandmother and my other two kids. And my my boyfriend had gone to the bathroom mm-hmm. and my sister had called me and I answered it right away because nobody calls me that early in the morning. So yeah. I answered it right away. And she told me, and I just, I broke down immediately. My, my boyfriend came back, and he asked me what was wrong. And then I told him, and yeah, I was just sitting at Cora's in Northland Mall. And that, that's where I was when I found out. Um, the day that, I think it was the first, immediately after. I didn't really break down and start the grieving process until the next day. Joanne phoned me and said that the funeral home needed something to put on Taylor's body. We weren't having her buried, but they want you to have the opportunity to dress them before cremation. So my thought process was, right, Sunday best. You bury people in their Sunday best. So I'm rummaging through all my dresses, and by all I mean two. There was a green one that still had a mayonnaise stain on it from the conference that I wore it to, and then this black one with sparkles that I wore to my company Christmas party. I hated both of them for Taylor. She would never wear either of them. And I could tell by the look on my sister and my mom's faces that they were a little less than thrilled as well. So I drove home after I dropped them off, just hating the idea of Taylor spending eternity in a dress with sparkles that her 45-year-old aunt had wore to a company Christmas party. So when Joanne called me later and said that she found a bag of Taylor's clothes with a a pair of like pajama bottoms and an old oversized hoodie for her. My, I just, 
my relief was just really overwhelming. I just thought, oh, thank God. I held it together on the phone, but when I hung up, I just completely fell apart. I, I yelled at Taylor in my head, like, why didn't you just leave? I, I just didn't see what on earth Taylor had ever done to anyone that she would deserve this. And that afternoon, her name was released to the media, so there was just no turning away from the truth at that point. Thanks for coming uh, this afternoon. My name is uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Martin Chavetta of the uh, Calgary Police Service Homicide Unit. The victims of the triple homicide that occurred earlier this week have been formally identified. The victim has been identified as Taylor Toller, 24. She is believed to be the girlfriend of the accused. A deceased man and a deceased woman were subsequently found during a check on the welfare at a residence in the 10100 block of Hidden Valley Drive Northwest. They have been identified as Alan Penny Legion, 51, the accused stepfather, and Sean Bosnuck, 52, the accused mother. The cause of, the de- cause of death for the victims will not be released out of respect for the families, and this matter is now before the courts. Dustin William James Duthie, 25, of Calgary, remains in custody and is in charge with three counts of second-degree murder. There now have been 10 homicides so far in Calgary in 2018. This case is a very tragic reminder that domestic violence is a real problem in our community and it crosses all neighborhoods, age groups, ethnicities, religious, religion, sorry, and economic statuses. Victims of domestic violence can also contact the Calgary Police Service anytime by calling the non-emergency line at 403-266-1234 or 911 if you're in immediate danger. And this is the part that you get really mad at me. I'm ending part one here. Sorry, I know, I know. But just to clear up two points that you might be wondering about. Yes, Taylor was already dead when Dustin sent that text to my mom. And no, the officer that knocked on Taylor's door did not smell anything. Neither did any of the neighbors. And yes, that is a bit strange considering it was summer, had been five days. I really try not to think about it too much. I'll be back next week with the conclusion to Taylor, Sean, and Alan's story. Thanks for listening again. Sorry! Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.